0: Good day, radio listeners. Welcome to this week's edition of the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. So glad you've joined us today. Got a treat for you today. I'm going to just be sharing with you a talk that I gave recently to the Equip Conference here in San Antonio on what is sexuality and how can we best manage this great gift of sexuality in the culture in which we live. So I hope this stirs some thought. If you've got questions or would like help in your own journey of managing your sexuality, simply contact us at 1-800-497-8748 or visiting puresexradio.com What is sexuality? What does it mean to be male and female? And how do we manage that in the world in which we live? And so that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about what sex is in terms of how the Bible tells us about this and how God speaks it into our lives, and then how do we manage it well? And by the way, what I'm going to tell you today is not culturally specific, because we have based our ministry on the principles of God's Word, and so therefore the principles, they will translate into any culture, any language, and any time in history. So that's the good news, is what, what I'm going to give you this morning is not going to be outdated in five years. It's going to be something that you can found, found your life on and say, this is how I need to see sexuality and how I need to manage it in the world in which we live, no matter what happens with technology, no matter what happens around you. So first, I want to share with you three major points of what sex is. First, sex is good. Sex is good. That's not something that we're often told in our church environment a lot of times. In fact, we're probably not even told anything about sex in our church environment a lot, a lot of times. And if we are, it's often usually a shaming message. It's a don't do this. It's, it's almost, it comes across as sex is wrong, sex is bad. I'm here to tell you sex is good, period. I'm not going to qualify it. And when I say sex this morning, What I want you to hear is not only the act of sex, but sexuality, maleness and femaleness. So every time I say sex, it encompasses all of that. Too many times we get this narrow view of sex when we think of only the sexual act. And guys, God's view of sex is so much broader than that. We are male and female, and therefore it's good. Sometimes when I talk to uh, younger groups, especially when I'm talking to teenagers, I will, and I love it when parents are present, because I will say this, I'll say, sex is good all the time. And then I pause, you know, to resuscitate whatever parent has fallen out of a chair, you know, because they're like, what are you telling my teenager? And I just say, it's the context that determines the outcome. But let's not make the context change the nature of sex. And to illustrate this, because sometimes people go, wait, I still don't catch that, I'm thinking, Listen, you know, I've always been told sex before marriage is bad, bad, bad. Well, think of it this way. Is fire good or bad? I say it's good because fire is only doing what fire does. If there is fuel and if there is an ignition source and there's oxygen, fire exists. So it's going to do what it does. It's going to burn. So in that sense, it's good. Now, what happens if you have fire in a fireplace? The context determines the outcome, right? So the context of that fire in that fireplace means it's it's beautiful, it gives off some warmth, it's fun to have friends around a fire. What happens if that same fire is on your living room couch? The context creates a different outcome, doesn't it? But did fire change? No. That's the image that I want people to have when they think of sexuality. Sex is good. But if you notice in that illustration, In order for the outcome to be positive, boundaries are necessary. There is a particular context in which fire produces the outcome that's desirable and pleasurable and good, right? There is another context that produces a very different outcome when there are no boundaries to fire. Sexuality is very much a similar thing. But back to the goodness of sex. Genesis chapter 1, typically a pretty familiar passage, but chapter 1, verse 27... So this is the creation story. God said, God said, God said, God said. And then verse 27, he says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then if you jump to verse 31 in chapter 1 of Genesis, it says, and God saw everything that he made and behold, it was what? Very good. Now when he said he saw everything that he had made, did somehow sexuality jump outside of that? No, he said maleness, femaleness, very good. So, from the very foundation, our design of being male and female is good. And that's very important to know. Too many times we are thinking that the fall, when Adam and Eve sinned and brought sin into the world, we see that, you know, before they sinned, it said Adam and Eve were both naked and felt no shame, right? And then it said, after they sinned, they realized they were naked and they sewed fig leaves to cover themselves, right? Mm-hmm. We assume that that changed the goodness of sexuality. It only changed the context. Right. And you understand that? Remember the fire example? It changed the context. Before, they had this blissful ignorance, this innocence. They didn't even know what nakedness was. Did you know what our original design was? Run around naked in a garden. That's how God made us. Now, I'm not asking you to imagine that right now, because we are post-sin, and so the context changed, right? And I'm not asking anybody to go running around naked outside, all right? But the thing is, the goodness of our sexuality, the goodness of maleness and femaleness did not change because sin entered into the world. Just the context changed. So sex is good because God made it, and God is good. So we need to reclaim that sense of goodness in our sexuality, God does not look at you as a man or a woman and say, hmm, it's not good that you're male or female. He says, no, it's very good that you're male or female. One thing this does when we start to reclaim the goodness of our understanding of sexuality is it brings back a sense of dignity into our body and into our being. That it is good that you are a man or a woman. And if you think about our culture, there's a lot of confusion regarding that, isn't there? There's a lot of confusion not only about how to engage, how to act sexually, there's a lot of confusion of how to be a sexual being. With all of the growth of transgenderism and all these kinds of things, where people are going, well, I'm a man trapped in a woman's body or vice versa. We need to bring back a sense of God made them male and female. There's a distinction there and it's good. And celebrate the dignity of your maleness or your femaleness. Secondly, so sex is good, but sex is also valuable. Sex is valuable. If something is good, then it serves to reason that it's valuable. One of the things that is different about our about us as human beings than anything else in all of creation is in the creation story, we are the only part of creation that God touched. Everything else he spoke out and it became. But guess what he did with us? He reached out to pick up a clump of dirt. He touched us. He formed a man. Then he did something else. He didn't just touch us. He formed this clay man. And then he did mouth to mouth. He breathed into him. Nothing else in creation did God put his breath into in the sense of his essence. He didn't say about a monkey or about a giraffe or about a tree or about a whale or about the ocean, I'm making it in my image. He said, only male and female, human beings, have I made in my image. So, therefore, when he said that sexuality is good, also because it's not only a gift from him, but of him, it also has infinite value. Imagine that I gave you a Ferrari. Now I'm just going to pause there for a second because it's pretty un- unusual for me to even think that I could give someone a Ferrari. But imagine that I gave you a Ferrari. I don't know when the last time somebody gave you something that was worth almost a million dollars. But how would you treat that? You know, you probably, I, I can probably guess that one thing you wouldn't do is you wouldn't go inside, grab a baseball bat and a can of paint, and come out and beat the tar out of that thing and deface it with spray paint. You probably wouldn't start pulling the engine apart. No, no you would take great care of it, why? It's valuable. And so you would would not only take care of it, you would also protect it, right? Because if somebody else wanted to take a baseball bat and a can of spray paint to it, you'd probably tackle them in your driveway. But here's the thing, the difference between the Ferrari and your sexuality is twofold. One, your sexuality is infinitely more valuable because you bear the image of God in your maleness and your femaleness, and so therefore it's infinitely more valuable. Plus, the makers of Ferrari are not actually part of the car. God is part of your sexuality. He said, I'm making you in my image. So therefore, He has woven something of the essence of Him into every man and woman on the planet. We bear His image. That's why I said our, our design is to be image bearers, not image builders. And I think one of the first ways in which we begin to understand that is by understanding that our maleness and our femaleness, our sexuality, is part of that image bearing. And just so you know, did you know you cannot complete that image separate from one another? Clearly the most, the most uh, profound image of that is found in marriage. When a husband and wife come together and they come together sexually, That is the best expression, that's the the highest expression of the fullness of the image of God. Notice he didn't say, I'm going to make them in my image male or female. It's male and female. Therefore, the fullness of God's image is expressed in community with one another. This happens both in marriage and certainly is expressed in the highest level in sexual union in marriage, but it also happens within the church. When men and women as brothers and sisters in Christ get together in fellowship, we are bearing the image of God. Sometimes when I say what I'm about to say, people you know, go, wait a second, that feels a little awkward because I, I don't know how to wrap my head around that kind of language when you're talking about God this way. God is both masculine and feminine. Some of you might be going, time out. <laughs> Did you just call God feminine? Yes. And what I mean by that is... If it's true that he said, I'm going to make man in my image, male and female, then guess what God's image contains? Femaleness. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not changing God's sense of authority, structure and protection and those kind of things. What I am saying, though, is that as much as he contains all of the masculine characteristics, he contains all of the feminine characteristics. Does anybody know what Jesus said when he was about to ride into Jerusalem? His heart was broken. And he said, Oh, would that I like a hen gather you under my wings. That is motherly talk. And so we need to celebrate the fact that our our sexuality is good. It's also valuable. God is both masculine and feminine, so therefore let's carry ourselves with dignity. And then finally, sex is powerful. So sex is good. God made us male and female. It's valuable. It's something to be cherished and taken care of. And it's powerful. It's powerful for both life or death. Life in a very literal sense, and by the way, both of these are either literal or relational. In a literal sense, sex is powerful for life. Procreation. Um, That's another thing about the biblical stance on sexuality. Is that is... God did not make male and male, female and female. He did not bring Adam three wives. He did not bring you know two guys and three... Male and female. And so therefore, the only way procreation happens is male and female. <laughs> so in a very real sense, sex is powerful in that regard because life is formed out of that union. I have three kids and two of them are teenagers, one of them is 12 years old. Every time I look at those kids, I'm actually pretty fascinated and amazed and overwhelmed and scared that God gave me that kind of creative power with my wife. Think about that. Life can come out of that union. It's very powerful. It's also not only powerful literally for life, but it's powerful literally in relationships. In the union of marriage, That is the institution. That's the context in which God said, let the fire burn. He said within those boundaries, no restrictions, folks. Let the fires burn in there. And it's actually powerful in that regard because did you know there are some drugs that are released in your brain when you act out sexually? Dopamine is the pleasure drug. It's saying, give me more, 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 more. And by the way, keeping in mind the fire example, Your sexuality is just doing what it was made to do when these chemicals are released. In the same way that fire, when it has all the right ingredients, is just going to burn. So dopamine is released when it's that pleasure chemical. But then there's this really cool chemical that's released that's a bonding chemical. It's oxytocin. Every time there is a sexual release, what ends up happening is oxytocin is released in the brain and there is a bond formed with whatever or whomever you are being sexual with. And God made the oxytocin on purpose. You know why? Because when the fire is in the fireplace, when sexuality is within marriage, the point of oxytocin is not that, oh my goodness, we're in our 30s now, our sex life is over. No! The point of oxytocin is that over a lifetime, bonding, 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 the two shall become one flesh. Don't be fooled into our cultural lie that says sex is only good when you're young. Right. I can testify after being married for over 20 years, it gets better <laughs> over time. It's like good wine. <laughs> it gets better over time. Now, for some of you, that might be a shock. And for some of you, it might be disgusting to think of that. But anyway, it's true. And it's because God made these cool little chemicals called oxytocin. But this is also why sex is powerful for death. Because did you know that same drug is released every time that you act out with pornography? This is why many men come to our ministry, many wives actually come to our ministry and tell us about their husbands. And they say, he prefers porn over me. You know why? Fire is just doing what fire does. Because he has released oxytocin so many times in the presence of pornography, he is forming that kind of oneness bond with pornography. And therefore, it's no wonder that he doesn't have the same kind of intimacy and bond with his wife. Good news, guys, though. I don't want to scare you. This is, not about, this is good news. Sex is good, sex is valuable, sex is powerful. The good news is your brain can change. You know, the Apostle Paul, without having any scientific background whatsoever, without being a professor of anything, knew 2,000 years ago something that scientists are just now figuring out. Romans 12 tells us this, that we are transformed by what? The renewing of our minds. It shouldn't surprise us, when, how many times have you ever gone, wow, God actually knew something, and we figured that out with science now. I mean, it's like it's kind of silly, right? We've often taken that as just meaning sort of like this intangible, immaterial, mental thing. The renewing of your mind is very biological, It's called neuroplasticity. And whatever ways in which you burn tracks in your brain chemically, they can be redesigned. This is the good news of the transformative power of Christ. It doesn't just affect your spirit and your soul. It affects your body. So therefore, sex is good. Sex is valuable. Sex is powerful. How do we manage this great gift that we've been given? I want to share with you three things that I think will be important in helping us manage this. And then I really want to spend a lot of time... I'm purposely not talking very long because I really want us to have a lot of time to get into some discussion and questions. So the first thing we got to do to manage this very powerful gift well is to tell the truth. Don't stay in the dark. Tell the truth. And this is two-sided. We both need to confess our weaknesses, confess where we've struggled, confess our histories. In other words, confess where we've lived in the dark when it concerns our sexuality. And guys, that can be very painful. This is why one of the things that we try to do in our ministry is we really try to help churches understand the need for safe environments for people to share their full story. Unfortunately, we have many, many people. We've had thousands of people come to our ministry over the years. And it's so sad to me when I hear this story over and over and over again of how the last place they want to go to confess their living in the dark is the church. Folks, something's wrong with that picture. And that's why I'm excited that you're here. You can shape and change that. And all it takes to create a safe community is one person that's willing to say, tell me your story and I will, I will carry that as it, as it is. It's valuable. It's priceless. We need to be able to have those safe environments to share your story. Because if you don't come out of the dark, nothing will change. You'll just continue to be that divided person. You'll continue to live out that image-building life Rather than knowing what it is to, how you bear the image of God in the world today. The other part of that, too, though, is not only confessing your brokenness, confessing where you've missed the mark, and by the way, in case you think that you don't have a story, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Men and women are sexually broken. Now, there's a huge, there can be a huge variance in the degrees to which we are broken, but none of us grew up in perfect homes. None of us have never not spun some sort of inappropriate thought in our minds. So And certainly many of us have crossed lines where we've actually committed sins of commission, meaning we've crossed lines where God said, I don't want you outside of this boundary. So we need to tell the truth about that. But we also need to tell the truth about what God says regarding sexuality. We need to uphold his truth. We are living in a day and age where I understand fully the pressure to do that, the pressure against us. Listen, with all of the very... I don't know how many more letters they can add to the L, B, G, Q, T, F, R, Z. I mean, I don't know how many more can be added. All that proves to me is we are a sexually broken culture. That doesn't mean that we start backing off from the truth. I hope what you're getting out of this is that this is not an angry message, that this is not a hurtful message, that this is not a message that's divisive. It's a message that's freeing. It's a message that brings liberty. It's a message that when the fire is where it needs to be, the outcome is good. And so we need to be willing to stand on the truth and say, listen, when people are railing against us regarding the homosexual stuff, when people are wanting to come to us and saying, you guys are prude, prudes, you don't know how to have any fun, we say, listen, we're just standing on what God has said. And I will tell you as one from experience, having lived on both sides of this, having been one who said, let's take the fire outside of the boundaries, and one who has said, no, God, I want you to show me what it is to live deep within those boundaries. Guess where freedom comes? Deep within the boundaries. It seems counterintuitive because we have this mindset of saying, listen, freedom is doing whatever you want, whatever you want, with whomever you want, however you want. Guess what that is? That's bondage. You become a chain. You become a slave to that which you keep giving yourself over to. The good news is when we say, "I want to live deep within the boundaries that God has set," you are liberated. You are finally able to bear God's image in a way that Jesus did, when it says He was full of grace and truth, not grace or truth. It wasn't like one you know one day God goes, Jesus says, "I'm grace today, so everybody come, I'll heal you." No, I'm truth today. Remember, you know it's like He's grace and truth, hundred percent. And so that's how we bear His image. So the first thing is tell the truth. The second way in which we manage this great gift of sexuality well is we need to protect and cherish it. If it is valuable, because it's not just a gift from God, but it's a gift of God. We're made in His image. Maleness and femaleness is a gift of God. He's placed part of who He is in that. Is there anything more valuable than God? So therefore, what are we doing to protect that priceless Ferrari? We need to protect and cherish it. And this is twofold as well. We not, we not only need to go on a journey of learning how to protect and cherish our personal and individual maleness or femaleness. In other words, learning where are those boundaries? God, how do we manage those, my sexuality within those boundaries? But also, we need to protect and cherish the sexuality of those who do not have a voice and do not have a choice. There are over two million children in the world today that are held against their will for sexual acts. Two million million children and that's that we know of human trafficking is a huge huge issue and I would strongly encourage you if you're feeling a sense of justice if you're feeling God prick your heart in that area of wanting to protect others sexuality that they don't have the voice to protect it then I strongly encourage you to get involved with ministries and churches and organizations that are doing things regarding human trafficking and helping that So I think we need to protect and cherish not only the gift that we carry and that we have the ability to protect and to cherish, but also to have a sense of justice for those who cannot do that. Did you know that the Bible actually, that God actually commands us to be angry? Many times we think, oh, that can't be right. We are to be angry. We're simply told not to sin in our anger. If you feel in your your spirit a sense of anger towards unrighteousness, whatever it is, whether it be sexual abuse, whether it be human trafficking, whether it be whatever's going on, don't squelch that. Allow it to grow into a passion so that then you can bring justice on earth as it is in heaven. And finally, the last thing you need to do to manage your sexuality well is to handle it with care. It's powerful, remember? We need to set healthy boundaries and here's something interesting that might again be one of those counterintuitive things. Greater focus unleashes greater power. Many people call Christians narrow-minded, right? Hallelujah. I love it when they call me narrow-minded. You know what I like to tell them about? I love to give people this illustration when they call me narrow-minded, especially because of what I the ministry I'm in, dealing with sexuality. You're narrow-minded, you know. This, that's antiquated, that whole idea of marriage, one man, one woman. That is antiquated. Liberation is doing whatever you want with your sexuality. Be free. And I like to often say this. Which is more powerful, water out of your garden hose or water under pressure? Anybody ever use a pressure washer? Yeah. Yeah. It's this, like, compressor thing that you can hook up to just any nor- normal garden hose, and what it does is it compresses the water. It focuses the water. It narrows the output. But you know what it does? It, can also, it, it almost cut my finger off one time. I did the stupid thing of I was pressure washing, and one time something got on the nozzle, so smart me, while it's still on, I go down there to get it off, and it nearly sliced my finger off. Now, can a garden hose do that? No, but focused, narrow water is very powerful. So people want to call you a narrow-minded Christian because you're saying, hey, God just said, put this great gift, this powerful gift within the bounds of marriage. You can say it becomes more powerful when it is more focused. You know what happened with me and my wife when I put the blinders on and said, I forsake all others and began devoting everything that I was, body, soul, and spirit to her? Guess what actually intensified? sexual union it became more intense it actually got better why because focus increases power. Another example is light Can any of this light that's in here uh, perform surgery or cut through steel? It's a trick question it can but not in its current disbursement. See it's under it's it's too widely dispersed it's too broad it's too free. But guess what? When you tighten it down and focus it and narrow it into a laser, you can perform surgery, you can cut through steel. So keep that in mind as you're thinking about, how do I handle sexuality in this culture that's asking me to keep broadening it out, broadening it out? I want you to understand this. It's much more powerful. You will have more impact for the gospel in where you live the narrower you focus your sexuality and say, I'm going to live according to God's design, and that says the only place in which I can let the fires burn is in marriage. Now, I understand. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that I think this is a cakewalk for single people, okay? But here's the thing we have to understand, and this is something I really want you to, to get. Circumstance does not dictate truth. And we need to be careful about that as Christians, too many times we feel that pressure and we, we have that little, you know, the enemy whispering in our ears and saying, listen, it's not that big a deal. You know, a little compromise with your boyfriend here is no big a deal. A little bit of this over here on the side with your with your girlfriend. And little by little, what we end up doing is we start kicking some embers out of the fireplace. We start saying, let's, let's let these fires burn somewhere else. Don't let the pressure of circumstance cause you to think that truth is going to change. I promise you, God says He honors those who honor Him. And there is no greater joy and thrill in life than when you can put your head on the pillow at night knowing that you are living as a man or woman of integrity, bearing God's image well in your sexuality. So that's my charge to you, is to remember that sex is good, sex is valuable, and it's powerful. And we have an obligation as followers of Jesus Christ to choose whether or not we are going to build our image or whether we're going to bear His image in our maleness and our femaleness. And I hope that we choose to bear His image. Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.